Welcome to Relentless Truth with John Warren, the podcast that extracts truth from a wide range of topics, revealing who God is, who we are, and how we relate to each other. Now, here's John with this week's powerful and practical insights. Welcome to Relentless Truth. I'm John Warren. It is good to be with you again. Please like, share, review, and subscribe to Relentless Truth. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. Please also go to our website, johnwarrenmedia.com, for more information about our work. And you can send along an email to me at john at johnwarrenmedia.com. And I so appreciate your communication. I received a couple of such kind emails uh, that were so encouraging just to know that uh, you're you're listening and that this uh, this is uh, valuable information that we share uh, week after week where this is episode 102 I believe if I remember correctly who would have thought it's been almost uh, two full years and uh, what what a what an honor it is and blessing it is to get to to do this work uh, today, I, I want to talk about the upcoming presidential election. You know, it seems that the election season lasts longer and longer each cycle, especially the presidential election cycles, and they start earlier and earlier. And, you know, I, I usually talk about all of these issues that concern us in, in various uh, formats, through various disciplines on this podcast, uh, through, through several episodes. We've talked a lot about the economy and government and all, all the things. But today, I want to do something just a little unusual, and, and I, I want to talk about the ideal presidential candidate to me, the candidate, the, the position I'm going to go through six or seven uh, issues that I would like uh, our, our next president to, to hold a kind of a, a a set of opinions or philosophies or, or, or policies in, in, in various respects. And I'll, I'll walk through each one and explain it without getting in the weeds too far because of this format doesn't really lend itself to that. But um, it, it's interesting to me that uh, President Biden has already declared that he's running again. At least I believe that's the case. And uh, others uh, uh, like uh, Vivek Ramaswamy is running on the Republican side. I believe former President Trump has declared. Nikki Haley has declared. Tim Scott from the senator from South Carolina, I believe, might have just declared uh, there, there's there's quite a field shaping up. Robert F. Kennedy has has uh, declared that he's running on the uh, Democrat side, and um, Marianne Williamson maybe is that her name on the uh, Democrat side who who ran last time. She's one of my favorites because she just shoots from the hip and she's kind of smart actually. And, and I don't agree with her on very much of anything, but she makes it interesting. So. The field is shaping up and this 24-hour news cycle causes all this to be covered and uh, covered again. And anytime anybody says anything on any of these fronts, we we hear it and it, it gets couched various ways. And, you know, I, I think one of the one of the things that that has 
at least in among students that I spend time with, has has been kind of an inter- interesting topic is the age of the president. And my my students really want to see, you know, a younger president. They 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 don't consider 60 years old young. Uh, they they want a younger president. They know the uh, and and you may be aware of this, but the the age requirement is 35 years old or older to serve as president. And and so they they want they want somebody on the younger side. The 80 year old president does not appeal to them, and and it doesn't matter what the person's positions are. They just can't relate to the person. And don't think they have the energy and so on. I mean, they're kind about it. Their critique, it's a, it's a, it's a pragmatic critique, but they, they, they want the the president to be a younger age. And I, I don't know what that means. It means, it means less than 70, I think at least, and maybe younger than 60, but that that's, that's one issue. And that's not one of my issues necessarily. I, I do worry about, President Biden's mental acuity and, and and even physically he he looks like a guy who is uh, beginning to struggle a little bit. I mean it's admirable that he can ride a bike still and he he you know can generally get up and down stairs and things and he's he's in probably physicians would tell you pretty good health but cognitively I I I worry about him and I uh, that the rigor of that job just I'm always fascinated at looking at pictures of presidents when they go in and versus when even one term is over much less two they just look so much older from i think the the stress so my my six topics six six subject areas uh they're really really more topics than than that but i've, I've got six or seven that i just want to i just want to walk through to describe kind of the the average, the 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 ideal presidential position, and I'll talk about some averages here, and uh, I'll try to be specific from time to time, but just kind of want to cover this, uh, the these the six or seven topics to kind of give you an idea of what my ideal presidential candidate would look like. First one is is taxes, and I, I'm going to say a couple things that are going to anger some of you, and and I I don't I don't want to do that. It's not an intentional thing. I just want to be candid. And, and I, I, I base some of my tax theory that I advocate on Art Laffer and the Laffer curve, L-A-F-F-E-R. Art Laffer, if you don't know him, he's a guy worth looking up. He's still alive. He's older now, but he's really interesting. He came to prominence, at least his views did, during the Reagan, all the way back in the Reagan administration, I believe. And he developed what is called the Laffer curve. And I'm going to butcher it, but but just to give you an idea of how how it works, is he believed that income tax rates uh, could could be reduced to some optimal target level, and that you can actually, to a point, increase total tax revenue as you increase tax. Uh, as, I'm sorry, increase tax revenue as you decrease corporate. I mean, individual income tax rates. So. Laffer, so today, the individual income taxes are the number one revenue source for the federal government. Now, I should say, I live in Florida, where we don't have a state income tax. And yet, what is fascinating about Florida is we, we are a, uh, an incredibly well-run state from a fiscal standpoint. 
And you might say, well, that's because you have 2000 people a day on average who are moving there. Well, no, that's not true. For years, we've had budget surpluses. We spend, we're somewhere around 48th or 49th in spending per capita per person. And yet we, we have decent schools and roads and so on. You know, we are the sunshine state. Weather's awfully good. We don't have to, we don't have to deal with cracking roads and, and all the maintenance that goes on up north. But we have a, a, a fiscally uh, prudently run uh, state and we have no state income tax. We have state sales tax. We have property taxes, all kinds of other. We have a state uh, corporate tax, um, which is modest as well. But this is a pro-business, pro-investment state. And boy, does it show with great weather. And, um, you know, I, I don't need to sell you on the merits of Florida, probably. It's, it's well known. And we're, we're, we're going to have some growth management issues as we go forward. Uh, we, we're already experiencing them. But this individual tax rate idea, we have several brackets and they go something like this. The marginal rates go from 10% to 12, 22, 24, 32, 35, and 37. And, and I, I would like to see these individual tax rates reduced modestly, maybe. And I don't know what the optimal number is. And no, I'm, I'm not advocating to reduce taxes significantly on the rich. The 1% can pay their, their share, whatever it is, and you want to leave those top couple of brackets at 35 and 37, that's fine with me. I don't care. I mean, that, that's, that, that works just fine. But the rest of them, the other five brackets, the 10, 12, 22, 24, and 32, I, I'd like to see reduced by a couple of points, a couple of percentage points. And maybe, maybe that middle group, the 22, 24, and 32, I'd reduce to maybe 14, 16, and 18, or 20, something like that. And, and then you can jump up and, and, charge the the upper group the top two brackets the same 35 and 37 or whatever you want to whatever you want to collect uh, that's that's not really important for this discussion the the signal this would send would would be to it would foster uh, economic development that that's the idea it, it's it's encouraging message it 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 encourages uh economic growth investment in resources now Corporate taxes are far less uh, significant to the federal government from from a, uh, a revenue standpoint, but the, the the corporate tax rate now, maximum corporate tax rate is twenty one percent, and I I would reduce that to ten percent, and I and I know that sounds crazy to some people, and some of you are going to say, oh my goodness, that's 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 uh, inflationary. And, it, and it's really not, we've talked a lot about inflation here in this podcast. I, inflation is, is, is really caused by the devaluation of the currency. And, and the, the Treasury and the Federal Reserve have already accomplished that. The, the inflation is already built in. The inflation, the, the price increases that you're experiencing now, that we're all experiencing, is, is cooked into the cake already. It's baked in already. It's, it's, it's there because we... We had quantitative easing and stimulus, and we printed money and pushed it into the economy, thereby reducing our dollars. Now, there, economists, for you, you, you write me and say you're an idiot. Uh, I understand that there's cost push and demand pull, inflation, all that other stuff. I, I know, I know about that. But the but primarily, inflation is 
is driven by the devaluation of the currency through the oversupply of the currency. And, 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 and that's, that's just true. That's just mathematically true. So this, this reduction in, in corporate taxes would be stimulative to the economy. You see, I, I naively, perhaps I want to see more factories in the United States. I want to see more farms. I want to see more heavy equipment running around and doing things. I want, I want a robust, active American United States of America economy. Uh, that's what, that's, that's what I would like to see. And I want a candidate who advocates for that and who understands it and, and doesn't just give lip service to it, but who, who runs on a platform that says, I'm going to reduce taxes because you can actually increase federal government revenue, total tax revenue collected by doing so. Art Laffer proves it. Check him out. Look at, do the math. And I think you'll agree with me. I, I, I think there's an opportunity to stimulate the economy. Do I want it to be just red hot so that prices continue to rise? No, I don't. But our employment situation has got to be worked out, has got to resolve itself. We're, we're, we have a worker shortage caused partially by the COVID-19 lockdowns and people realizing they can work from home and choosing alternative employment channels. I get all that. But but, but really, the issue is boomers, baby boomers aging out of the workforce. And, and I think, you know, my age group and older are sitting on a lot of money. And I, I think this would be stimulative. We would invest. We would engage. And, and I, I want to see taxes reduced. And, and, and no, that's not a popular opinion among some who tend to lean left and are, are more socialistic. But I think if you do the math, you look at the Laffer curve, you read Art Laffer's material, I think you'll agree with me that this could be stimulative for the economy. We've got to do it in a wise way, a circumspect way. We've also got to address capital gains. Those numbers are are 15 and 20% now. I'd like to see those reduced to 10 and 15%, those two brackets for corporate, uh, for, I'm sorry, for capital gains taxes. Capital gains are are taxed uh, in, they've got some nuance, but in short, they're, they're gains on investments held for a year or more. And, and uh, there, there are a couple of brackets, and I, I want to see those reduced so that there's more investing, there's more pride in America, more, more factories, more, more investment, more plant assets, more, more fixed asset investment, a more serious investment in infrastructure and the like in the United States. That's a good thing. I'm not talking about government spending on infrastructure. I'm talking about uh, uh, factory infrastructure and the like. We desperately need, and, and I know that, that quotas and, and, and uh, uh, tariffs and, and trade agreements and all of those things come into play too, and it's important to get that right, but we need a pro-American economy president, not an isolationist, not somebody who slams the door shut and says, we're not going to interface with other countries. We, we, we've got to do that. We have a global economy. I understand all that. We're going to be buying things from other countries, uh, but, but there, there's that. I, I also want to see energy independence. Energy independence seems to be one of the things the Trump administration did well. If I had to summarize what Trump did well, it was, it was that and the appointment of, of uh, folks in the ju- judiciary particularly the Supreme Court, but, but other judges as well. And, and so this, 
this notion of energy independence is critical. We're not, we're not going to get to totally clean energy. This, this whole environmental push on, and uh, social justice and environmental justice and all the things that come with it and reparations and all is that, that that's all silly talk. I want serious minded people who really care about the environment and who also understand energy to help shape policies that will make us energy independent. What I mean by energy independence is that we produce our own energy or at least enough of our own energy through fracking. And that'd be a fun topic to research if you care to uh, hydraulic fracturing. We're able to, to extract natural gas and oil in our own waters and our own, in our own country so that we could be, if we had the will to do so energy independent, not dependent on other countries. Now you get into some nuance on this topic. You, if you, if you extract oil out of the ground in Saudi Arabia, it requires less refining, less expense to refine less. In fact, you can ship, you can take it out of the ground in Saudi Arabia, purchase it and ship it over here and refine it and put it in the gas stations at a, a for, for that particular kind of fuel uh, you can you can do so way more cost effectively than you can purchasing oil from russia or other sources even our own uh, under our own land in our own land or or water so the refining capacity refining capability the refining that is required the uh, consistency of the oil is is dramatically different from Russia to uh, Saudi Arabia. So when you hear that, don't think, oh, it's all interchangeable and barrels of oil are barrels of oil. That's that's not true. But energy independence is another one. Now, I, I want us to to explore, to to test, to uh, pioneer, to to do all of those things, to do R and D, and to explore uh, alternative energy. Uh, that, that's a good thing. But I don't want government programs and mandates. I don't like the fact that we we commit prematurely to to wind, for example, when we're we're just not there yet. We're we're doing environmental damage and we're not really producing that much power. We like hydroelectric power. We like nuclear power. Nuclear power can be done safely. If you look at Europe, you can see, and even in the United States, but it, it's not politically correct after Chernobyl and, and Three Mile Island and all the rest. Uh, there was a big accident in Japan, but but nuclear energy can be done safely. Hydroelectric energy can be done cleanly and safely. Just requires uh, commitment. So tax revisions, good environmental uh, policies and energy policies, and uh, you know a, a, a clear-eyed look at at global warming and and what it really is and isn't. Uh, this this profiteering that happens, this fear mongering, this this oh my goodness, you're you're an unsophisticated idiot if you don't jump on this this bandwagon. That 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 just concerns me. Um, the, the 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 whole automobile industry running toward electric cars, not not just hybrids, but electric vehicles, uh, is concerning. The technology just isn't there yet. The infrastructure is not there yet. No offense to you if you have one and like it. I have friends who do, who drive electric vehicles. That's wonderful for commuting around town. Maybe they seem to me to break a lot and be in the shop a lot. 
replacing the batteries is incredibly expensive and charging is inconvenient and all the rest still. Is that where we're headed? I, I don't know. I kind of think it's like the the combustion engine, the car, when we started making cars in the early 20th century. I, I think what we end up with is going to be dramatically different than what we think we're doing now. Will there be cars powered by alternative energy? Yes. Will it be electric? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't. If it is, I don't think it'll look like it looks today. I think there'll be there'll be battery modifications and all kinds of things that are more sophisticated. It's more sophisticated ways to store power, probably. Um, but anyway, I want my president to have those positions, and I would I would support a presidential candidate. If you're a presidential candidate and you're listening, that that's that's what we're after the, those positions. But then then probably most importantly, if I had to say that, and these are all important. I probably won't say most importantly, but I want a balanced budget amendment to be passed. And and I know some of you think, oh my goodness, we can't do that. Look at how much we spend. Well, I'm going to tell you how much we spend. In the fiscal year 2022, we had a deficit of $1.38 trillion. 2021, we had a deficit of $2.78 trillion. Trillion. I explained what a trillion was in an episode a long time ago. And compared it to a billion, I think I looked at a trillion seconds or some nonsense. It's a ton of money. We take in, we took in, in revenue, 4.9 trillion in the fiscal year ended uh, 9-30-22. And, and we spent $6.27 trillion. Who in the world gets to do that? You know, it sickens me, the Trump campaign is running ads about Ron DeSantis criticizing him for wanting to uh, to reduce, to modify Social Security. Uh, well, we we have to do that. We have no choice. We, you can't fix this deficit problem that we have. And by the way, during four or five of the Clinton eight years in office, the Clint, of the Clinton administration, we balanced the budget because the Republican Congress forced the issue. I want to see a constitutional amendment. And yes, I know that that requires the three quarters votes of this vote of the states, but I want to see a constitutional balanced budget amendment requiring Congress to come up with a budget every year that balances the budget. I am sick and tired of Congress kicking this can down the road. It is so painful politically that they're not willing to do it, but I want a president who favors it. I want a president who will run on it. And, and I, I don't care if, if the, the opposition runs ads with pushing granny over the edge of a cliff in a wheelchair and all that. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about good, prudent spending cuts. And we're talking about revenue enhancement. If you do what, what I suggested on, on income taxes, both individual and corporate, then I think you'll raise revenue. We need a prosperous economy. We desperately must have a prosperous economy to balance the budget. But regardless, I don't want Congress to be able to spend $1 more than we take in in any fiscal year, period. I don't like the idea of, oh, we're capping spending at last year's level. That's not good enough. I want a balanced budget. I want a balanced budget amendment. I want a president who, a presidential candidate, I want to support a presidential candidate who will run on that issue. So that that's important. 
this deficit spending. I, I don't need with this audience, you're sophisticated. I don't need to talk to you about all of the, all of the personal analogies where, you know, you, you can't spend money and put that on a credit card and then refuse to pay it. Or you, you can't do deficit spending in your family year after year after year. It catches up with you. You can't run up some huge national debt, huge individual debt and expect to pay it off based on out, outspending your, your income. You know, you, you just, you can't live this way. Your companies can't live this way. And, and thankfully the state of Florida doesn't live this way. Most states don't live this way. Most cities don't live this way. Most cities are, are well managed. Most counties are well managed and many states are well managed. You, you, you can't have a, you can't print money and push it into the economy if you're a, if you're a, if you're a city, a county or, or a state. But the federal government does, and it's shameful. And we've got to have the courage. We've got to be smart enough as an electorate to elect people who get this. This is not that complicated. We can do this. This deficit spending is problematic. The Trump administration running ads about DeSantis cutting Social Security benefits is just irresponsible. I Please, please, uh, America, see through this. This, this. We're going to have to because entitlements are a huge part of the budget. They have to be modified for this to work. Now, I know because I am one, I'm near the end of the boomers, one of the younger baby boomers. I, I know that you put your money into Social Security at about seven and a half percent. Your companies over the years that you worked for matched it. And you've got a ton of money sitting in Social Security and you don't want anybody to, to alter that payout. You don't want your retirement date moved back. You want your money. Well, we're smarter than this. We can be creative. We can come up with all kinds of alternatives. We can have people opting out of Social Security. There are all kinds of fixes here. We've got to have the political resolve to do so. You could eliminate, almost fully eliminate, the executive branch of the government and not balance the budget. So don't think there's some quick fix. Oh, I can do an austerity study and fix this. Just eliminate waste and all the expensive toilet seats and all the other analogous uh, purchases for for government waste. No, you can't. Through cutting waste, you're not going to get there. Should we cut waste? Yes. Yes, we should. Uh, can we modernize our military? Yep, we can. Uh, should we? Yeah, absolutely, yes. So, yes, there there are there are things we can do to to reduce expenses, but we're not going to cut our way to prosperity, but we're going to have to alter entitlements. We've got to address military spending. We can't just, what I want us to do is eliminate waste, do things that make sense. Stop these, these forming these little political poster child issues and, and, and working the news cycle with them and do what makes long-term sense for America. I want a presidential candidate who's a long range thinker. And, and I, I don't want to say doesn't care about the 24 hour news cycle, but doesn't dick doesn't manage policy, doesn't dictate the way his administration functions, his or her administration functions based on that news cycle. I want a long range thinker who does the right thing on a long term basis. I think that just makes sense. And that's what I want our presidential candidate to do. So I realize the cooperation of the Congress is needed. 
and and I I'm talking about what in the minds of many of you might be utopia here, but I want a president who runs on these things and goes into office intending to do them. I know the con- the the cooperation of Congress is required, but but that that's what I want from the president. Now, I like the idea of doing expense audits. I like the idea of of doing efficiency studies. Government can be made to be more efficient. I don't care how small the expenses sound relative to trillions of dollars of debt or the $2.78 trillion deficit in 2021, the $1.38 trillion deficit in 2022, and the almost $1 trillion that we appear to be headed toward this year. I still want us to be efficient. So I'm not downplaying efficiency. I'm just saying we have to go so much further than that. The, the, the other item, next item I, I want to talk about is, is immigration. You know, we, we need to stop the nonsense with the dreamers. And, and you know who the dreamers are. If you don't, you can, you can Google it. The, these are people who are here who, who many of them came over as, as babies and toddlers, and they've been here for many years. They need a path to citizenship. There is a path to citizenship for some of the dreamers. And I want a path, I, you know, I don't know what the number of dreamers are. Could be 10 million, could be lots more than that. They're here, they, they, they're in our schools, they, they hold jobs, they're responsible people, they have families. I want to see a path to citizenship for dreamers who are responsible, law-abiding citizens. A path to citizenship for dreamers. However, I want the borders closed. Closed. I don't want us to just look the other way and assume, well, there's going to be a certain amount of illegal immigrant. Nope. I don't want a wall like China has. I don't want a, an iron curtain like the Soviet Union had. But there are places where we need border walls. We need to control access. Now, legal immigration could be overhauled and should be. And you, you shouldn't, you, you can buy your way in with various visa programs to the United States. You can, you can get your way in here through uh, student visas. Yeah, you, you, can, you can find a way to, um, to, to come over and, and study, and then you can blend into the woodwork and stay illegally if you, if you care to, probably. I'd like to see all that cleaned up. I really would. I'd like a president to run on that. Not a, again, not, not, not isolation, uh, not, 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 not a cruel administration, but I, I think it's cruel to have thousands or tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of people lined up at the border trying to sneak their way in, risking life and limb being carried over by coyotes from the drug cartels and running drugs and human trafficking and all that. We, we've got to clean that. It's just, you know, I, I'm not working for Fox News here, but it, it just seems to me that, that it makes sense to clean up our act on immigration. It's not uncruel to, to do so. It's it's not cruel to do so. Rather, it's 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 something that requires attention, and I want our next president to care about immigration and our borders. Most Americans agree with this. Those people who live in in border towns definitely get it. And if you live in a city, yeah, here's another one: sanctuary cities related to this topic. If you live in a sanctuary city and and you've seen all the crime and all the stuff. You know that that these are not victimless policies. We we need to have a country. 
and, and sovereignty for a country in the government sense is essential to really having a country. It's not uncruel, but we, we need to be hard on crime. I, I want a president who, who is not weak. Now, this, is, this isn't going to turn off a lot of you, but I, I would legalize marijuana. I'd control it. I'd tax it. I'd enforce it. I wouldn't allow certain people to grow it certain ways. It's, I don't mean legalize it as in take off all constraints. I, I, I don't want people to smoke marijuana. I, I, I don't care if they eat gummies. I don't want them to drive while impaired. I don't want them to operate machinery while impaired. But, but legalizing marijuana makes, makes sense to me um, for, for various reasons. I don't care really whether the president, if, if you get these other things right, you don't have to run on a platform that includes legalization of marijuana. But I did think I did think to write it down, thought I would mention it here. Certainly, at least the medical marijuana has some benefit. Uh, but I would encourage you, whatever you do, don't smoke it. It's not good for your lungs. If you if you must must use it use it in a, in a, in another, through another modality. I like to tax it, like to enforce laws around it. I, I don't like the idea that we've got people sitting in prison right now because a bag of pot was found in their car. I, I don't, I don't have time to talk about that in detail. I've got a guest who I'm going to have on soon. who's going to talk about that issue for us. So anyway, next issue for, for our next president, I, I want to modernize the military. We, the beauty of our military is that we hang on to old values and I, I don't want to give up those values. I, I don't want our military to have to care about equity. Equality, yes. Equity, no. Um, I want our military to be a tough fighting force, a well-trained fighting force. I want to listen to the generals who know what they're doing, who've served for years. I, I, I trust our, our military academies. And, and I want them to be pure and unvarnished, unstained by some of the crazy ideology in our world today. But military modernization, rethinking the way we do things, is just smart. Most military officers, most commissioned officers in the military are bright, bright people. A, a lot of the enlisted folks who, who make it to, uh, through the petty officer ranks are bright, bright people. Uh, a lot of people who serve as inf- infantry and, and, and sailors and, and, and other, other functions, uh, artillery and all the rest are bright, bright people. And we need to listen to them and, and modernize the military for, for today's world. I don't mean turn the military into a bunch of social justice warriors. I mean modernizing in terms of technology in terms of strategy, in terms of deployment, and all the rest. Finally, last thing on my list that I want this next ideal presidential candidate to do, I want them to commit to no more, I want, I want, to, I want to change our nation's monetary policy so that we don't print money and pump it into the economy, calling it quantitative easing or stimulus. No more. No more. It is immoral. It is absolutely immoral for our government to print money, push it into the economy. And I understand that it's not printing money. They do it electronically, but you get the metaphor. 
printing money and pushing it into the economy, creating inflation. It's a tax on the American people. It doesn't get voted on by anyone. It's immoral. It's it. I, it, it has to stop. I want a president with the courage to say that the government is not responsible. I know you're going to gasp for managing the economy. They can do some things that are constructive. And I know the federal reserves role. I know about their mandates and all the rest, but, but I don't want, I, I've said this in previous episodes. I cringe when I hear people say, Oh, this is the Biden economy or that was the Trump economy or that was the Obama economy or the Bush economy. And no, I don't, I don't, I don't believe that. I believe the economy is a separate thing and I want it to be treated as such. I want a president who's going to commit to not attempting to manipulate the economy, the stock market, asset valuations. That's, that's what this is. This is about, this is about houses and stocks really. And maybe the bond market secondarily, but I, I don't want our federal government involved in manipulating those markets to hold values up. And that's what they've been doing. That is what they've been doing. Now you say, oh, well, what would have happened in 2008 without that? Well, we, we needed some government support for a season, for sure. Or what would have happened during COVID? You know, you know what? Nothing. If we hadn't been stupid, we would have been fine. We didn't really need the, all that stimulus. I mean, maybe we needed PPP to some degree, the payroll protection program. But but look at look at the money we spent. Talk to your friends about who got stimulus checks. Talk to your friends who own companies about who got PPP money and companies that didn't even need it. It was not wisely distributed. Look at cash for clunkers back in 2008. I'm not going to go through all that again. I've talked about that in previous episodes, but I, I want a government that is going to be fiscally prudent and monetarily prudent. That's a good way to summarize a number of these points. This is not that hard. We shouldn't demonize prudence and long range thinking in the media. Can't fix the media though. I just like to have a presidential candidate who does those things. Now I'm going to tell you about a strategy. A friend of mine told me a friend of mine. I respect an awful lot. He's going to register. He's a Republican. He's going to register as a Democrat and vote for Robert F. Kennedy in the in the uh, Democratic primary because he wants him to beat Joe Biden, and then he wants Kennedy. He thinks Kennedy can beat Donald Trump or whatever uh, on the Republican side. And his theory is that Kennedy's better than Biden as president. And I I, I kind of like that thought, frankly. I don't want to offend you if you don't. He's not my ideal candidate. But my goodness, we have got to elect the right president. We've got to elect a principled, long-range thinker as president of the United States. We've got to get back to basic basics. Paul says in Romans 8 that we're to obey. Uh, they, he doesn't say obey in most translations. We're, we're to consent to the governing authorities. And that's important. We're to pay taxes. We're to, we're to obey the law. And we are to Christians, we are to engage in the electoral process. And it just excites me that we have this opportunity in this country. It's a free country. I can do a, a rambling podcast episode on these items, these, these platform pillars, these, these important concepts. And uh, we, can, we can support a candidate for president who's going to get it right now. If you're smart and you're, you're you you know you have some sense of 
insight, you, you know that a presidential candidate who supports all those things I just went through has no chance of getting elected, don't you? You pretty much know that. But I think if enough in the electorate would look at these issues and say, we are far more desperately in need of leadership in these issues than we realize, I think we could elect a president like a Ron DeSantis, who is, is principled, or I, I don't know who else is going to run. I, I, I like Ramaswamy an awful lot. I, I understand that some of you just cringed, but I like a principled conservative who gets it and who takes these positions. And I thought I would just, just summarize them all in an episode for you uh, today. I hope this is helpful. hope it's even entertaining to a degree. These, these are important matters. I appreciate you listening. I'm thankful for your support. Please like, share, review, and subscribe to Relentless Truth. As When I say share, I mean call a friend and tell them about us. Uh, you'd, you'd be surprised how many people I hear from who say, hey, a friend of mine sent an email with a link to your podcast. I'm in some other state somewhere and, and I or some other country, and I really enjoy it. So thank you for doing it. So I would just encourage you. We, we don't take sponsorship. We don't raise funds. We don't have uh, donations. We do this because of the work and the pursuit of absolute truth. So thank you for your support, and I look forward to being with you again next time. Thanks for listening to Relentless Truth with John Warren. Please consider sharing this podcast and subscribe to receive future episodes. Connect with John regarding your comments, questions, and show ideas through johnwarrenmedia.com or at John Warren Media on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. That's all for this episode. Join us next week for another edition of Relentless Truth with John Warren.